Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a wiki podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome my friend, Dr. Bart Barber, to the podcast. Dr. Barber serves as the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention, as well as being the long-tenured pastor of the First Baptist Church in Farmersville, Texas, where he served for 23 and a half years. Bart, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you so much, and great honor to be here with you. No, it's great to be in the studio today, and you've been on campus with us today. You preached in chapel this morning. We had a luncheon this afternoon, and it's just been a fun day to be together. You've encouraged God's people here immensely, so thank you for the gift of your time in coming to Kansas City. What a blessing. Thanks. Yeah, so we're going to talk today about can women serve as pastors? This conversation for the listeners, candidly, just began kind of organically as Bart and I were talking yesterday about the issues in front of the SBC and confusion around this topic. And I said, hey, why don't we why don't you record a conversation and perhaps we can be helpful to our listeners and particularly within the SBC by reflecting biblically and denominationally on this very important topic. And so, Bart, we're going to you know dash in where angels fear to tread, I guess. But as we have both said, don't anticipate saying anything new that we haven't said a zillion times before in public places. But it's a timely word, and it's a needed word. And so, let's just begin with a basic understanding of 1 Timothy 3. And oftentimes, the reflection on 1 Timothy 3 gets oversimplified with folks saying something like this, men can serve as pastors or elders, women can't. And it gets oversimplified because the point of 1 Timothy 3 is not merely that men can and women can't, but only a sliver of men can. Biblically qualified, verses 1 through 7, that measure up to God's standards. That's exactly right. And, you know, there have been people who have said that Southern Baptist Convention really only cares about gender about sex with regard to people who serve as pastors. But I think we've put the light of that recently. We just adopted a resolution two years ago in which we applied pastoral qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 to past sexual abuse, for example, and have said that that's something that's disqualifying for ministry. And, you know, in 1 Timothy 3, I believe that you have God pointing us to the need for the church to have structure, the need for the church to have members who serve in structured leadership positions, what we call the offices of the church, and that the church needs to be careful and deliberate in the selection of people to serve in those ways. Some of those qualifications are obviously spiritual and have to do with character, and some of them just have to do with pragmatic concerns about service in those offices. And all of them, I think, are equally important, and we need to be steadfast in trying to live those out. Yeah, and look, it's needed for folks like me and folks like you, as Southern Baptist Convention Seminary President, the president of the SBC, to say clearly, unequivocally, consistently, that Scripture and the BFNM and Southern Baptist practice has been consistently clear, all three, that the office and I believe the function of the pastor of the elder is reserved exclusively for biblically qualified men. That's absolutely true. You know, a couple of things that I would point out, I think there are spots on the landscape that people hold, just to kind of clarify the, the terminology. First of all, I want to mention, because people often say, why don't you say this? There's actually an article in the Baptist Faith and Message that I think requires women to be engaged in ministry, uh, ministry in our churches. It's the article on stewardship, which requires people to give of their time, talents, and energies to the work of the church. And for many people, God's given them the talent, the energy, and the time to be able to serve even in a staff way. 
uh, as we have women who serve on our ministry staff at FBC Farmersville. Many, many churches do. But uh, both in the Baptist Faith and Message and in 1 Timothy 3, you have two offices in the church that are different, that are set apart as qualified biblical offices in the church, the office of pastor, elder, overseer, and the office of deacon. And the Baptist Faith and Message says those are the two offices of the church. I think there are three different positions that people sort of occupy today. You have an egalitarian wing of evangelical Christianity that would say that actually the office of pastor is not limited to men, but the office of pastor can be occupied equally by men or women. You have a position, my position, that says that the office of pastor is limited to men who meet the biblical qualifications. And then I think you have a position in the middle that says, essentially, well, there's more than one office of pastor. There's an office of lead pastor or senior pastor. And then there are other people who are serving as pastors who don't have to meet those biblical qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 because they're essentially something different. I think that's an untenable position because I think it goes against things that we've said about the office of pastor based upon biblical reasons when we weren't even talking about this modern question of men and women and whatever else, just when we weren't on the horns of some kind of practical argument or dilemma. We just looked at Scripture and said, pastor, elder, overseer, and deacon. These are the two offices of the church. I think that's supported biblically and and scripturally for us to say that. And so some of the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, what they're essentially doing is they're looking at women and saying, we're going to call you pastor. We're going to call you assistant pastor of children or the ladies ministry pastor or whatever else. But you do understand, don't you, that you're not really a pastor. You couldn't be the lead pastor. You're not the same thing that I am, you know, you're, you're something different, but we're going to put the title pastor on you. I think that's both unfair to the scriptures and unfair to the women who are, right. who are in those offices and un- unfair to the congregation because it's a bait and switch. You're saying we want to honor you and reward you with this title. But the thing is, people don't usually say out loud the part of, but now you understand that you're not really a pastor, don't you? It's poor discipleship for the congregation. And it's a bait and switch for the women who are serving in those roles, and it's unfair to them. In the long run, some people say, well, it's just a terminology argument. Are you really going to argue about the terminology that people use in their churches? But terminology, vocabulary, shapes what people believe in the future. That's right. Uh, The concerns about terminology are not empty concerns. They're important concerns. You know, you mentioned these three categories or these three views, and you mentioned the egalitarian evangelical view, the capital E egalitarian view. And that really is a rare, if not an altogether endangered species in Southern Baptist life. I mean, that, that is, that, that's a sliver of people, best we can tell. Most of the conversations I have with folks on this topic, especially that they're female, it's not like a belligerent, why can't I pastor? It's usually not that at all. It's helped me to understand biblically how I should minister in the context of a local church. So the conversations I've had for 10 years here and years before that in other settings were almost entirely winsome, healthy, happy, ladies studying here, elsewhere. How should I best honor Christ in this role or within the context of a local church? And so it hasn't been this, this big push to pastor. It's been how to most faithfully honor Christ as a godly lady who's seeking to serve the people of God. 
So I guess for me, even some of the intensity around the topic, I'm kind of scratching my head saying, I haven't felt that personally in my ministry circles over the years. I really haven't. And then kind of popped up here in recent months, obviously, with the uh, the news out of Saddleback earlier this year. And it seems to me that a part of the conversation that it spawned, that conversation highlighted the basic inconsistency amongst 45,000 or so Southern Baptist churches for the nomenclature associated with the support staff roles. Some churches call them ministers. Some churches call them directors. Some churches evidently have called them associate pastors. And my basic argument is this. We have been historically and are presently inconsistent around some of these support staff roles. But just because we are inconsistent church to church in these support staff roles does not mean we should, therefore, be willing to be unclear about what the word pastor, what it is, what it means, and who can occupy that role. So inconsistency in these auxiliary roles should not lead to elasticity in the pastor-elder. I agree. You talked about how historically we've treated it. And I think one thing we have to acknowledge here is how brief that history is, because for a lot of churches today, but for almost all Southern Baptist churches in, say, 1965, the idea of what terminology to use with regard to your second pastor would be similar to trying to figure out where you were going to park your second Lamborghini. The churches didn't have more than one member on staff. They had not imagined having another person who was on staff. We had a song leader when I was a kid, not a worship pastor. We had youth volunteers, not a student pastor. And so this idea that a church has a staff that consists of different people with age-graded or talent-based responsibilities is something that's really taken off since kind of the mid-70s. And, you know, we'd heard stories about First Baptist Dallas and all the things that they were doing when I was a kid, but but this was the province of only the very largest churches in the SBC. And so we're really trying to figure out how to grapple with something new. And along the way, I think we've lost sight of some things that are old while we're trying to figure out how to grapple with this new thing. At FBC Farmersville, I think we do need that clarity in the SBC. I think it's going to be easiest for us to have clarity in the SBC if we have clarity at the local church level. And for us, if the word pastor is in your job title, there's a section in your job description that is held in common by everyone who has the title pastor and has the word pastor in their title. Because we believe that pastor means something more than just the idea that you are on ministry staff with XY chromosomes. In some cases, I think we need to work on some clarity at the local church level that will help us to gain clarity at the national SBC level too. When you think about the national SBC level and one of the conversations associated with this topic is, you know, is a church in friendly cooperation or not? If they have teaching pastors, pastors on their church ministry team, that they're female. And of course, the occasion of all this was the Saddleback announcement months back. And the point of our conversation today is not to um, whip up on Saddleback. But again, that was a major moment. And I think Saddleback knew it was a major moment. They heralded as such, you know, through press release. And so clearly they perceived themselves as taking a step, an extraordinary step, a new step. And that's a step that, that many of us, and certainly the man speaking this podcast this moment, has tremendous concerns about. 
everything that you've said, I, I agree with. The way it was handled, it was treated as a historic moment. And so they clearly felt that it was a change from something that had been the case in the past. Uh, years ago, 2000 maybe, 2001, I attended a John Maxwell conference that was being hosted at Fellowship Church in Grapevine, uh, right by the DFW airport, Ed Young Jr., you know, at that church. And they had a speaker at that John Maxwell conference way back then who said, was highlighting trends in ministry. And one of them he said is, women in leadership in our churches, he literally said this, he said, don't come bring me your biblical arguments about why this is wrong. I'm just telling you that if you don't do this, you're going to be left behind. And this is the direction of the church in the future. That's not how we make decisions at FBC Farmersville. It's not how we make decisions in the Southern Baptist Convention. You talked about the, the rarity of full-blown egalitarians in the Southern Baptist Convention. I think there are definitely some people who, not because they rub their hands in evil laughter at night and say, I'm going to lead the churches into doctrinal error, but because they, they really do, like a lot of people have down through the years, see themselves as someone who's going to save the church from Neanderthal obscurity and help lead the church into a brighter modern day of updated thinking about things. And the Saddleback announcement kind of comes off that way, doesn't it? That it's an idea that they're going to right wrongs of the past and help Southern Baptists move forward to an embrace of women serving in pastoral role. Uh, in churches. I don't think Southern Baptists are ready to go there, and I don't think Southern Baptists will ever be ready to go there. I don't think it's the right way to go. I think it's a movement away from biblical truth instead of a movement toward biblical truth. I do think that outside of that category, some people who just think that the Southern Baptist stance has been wrong and that they want to right that wrong and lead us into the light, I do think that you have a lot of folks who are just a little confused and trying to sort out a lot of different things that are happening right now. The Nine Marks movement and the plural elder congregationalist movement within the SBC has changed people's thoughts to where people in that movement don't see this as support staff. They see this as multiple people in the church holding a biblical office in which you may have someone who's first among equals, but they're equals, and they're the same thing. And that's the approach we take at FBC Farmersville, although we're not exactly like that nine marks model. But we have multiple people who are pastors in our staff. Everybody who has the, the name pastor in their title is the same thing as me, could succeed me in my role. And may fill in for you any given Sunday. And may on any given Sunday be the one who's in the pulpit preaching. And not every church has adopted that way of moving forward with things. That introduces some confusion. We're using the same terminology and talking about different things. There probably are some churches that, are, that just think there's something basically wrong about previous Southern Baptist ideas about males operating pastoral office. But I think there are also some churches who are just trying to figure out, although they affirm that, how to apply it to circumstances in their own church. In those kind of circumstances, churches that are trying to figure out how to apply it, I think we've got to be gracious, and I think we've got to allow churches some time to sort through all of this and hear what people have to say before we start just disfellowshipping churches because they have a children's minister on staff who's a woman, and they call her children's pastor. 
do they mean that they think that she's the same thing as the as the lead pastor? Is that a halfway house step for them that they really have an agenda to have right. someone who's the lead pastor who's female? Some churches, that's probably the case. Some churches do think that they're making that historic movement. And some churches are just assigning staff titles to people that are there to help keep children's ministry running. Right. Yeah. And I had, a, on a lighter note, had a conversation uh, in recent days with someone about just a local Southern Baptist church and issues they're working through. And I said, look, you have to understand it's a church of 200 people. And God bless them. That, that's not a small church in America. That's a larger than average church. But any gathering of 200 people or 2,000 for that matter, any gathering of people, they're just having to work through issues and, and personnel and decisions and their future in their own sweet oftentimes clumsy way. And so that's where I resonate with what you're saying. If we're not looking for, we ought not be looking for random church out there that has, you know, your analogy, the associate pastor for children and looking to, you know, to pop lightning without warning. And furthermore, we acknowledge we don't have like a clarifier in chief in the SBC. We can pass resolutions, we can make motions, folks like ourselves can speak to these things. But we are a denomination, and I'm even using that term non-technically, uh, of 45,000 or so congregations. And the truth of the matter is, look, the Baptist faith in a message is prescriptive for the entities, and I'll die on that hill. But it is really more descriptive for our churches. It is, and that's just the truth of the matter. And there has been, over the years, the need on occasion to, to really dial in on what exactly puts one outside of friendly cooperation. And that's where here it's important for us to say that historically for Southern Baptists, and I don't mean in the 19th century, I mean the 1980s and 1990s and now, this has been seen as a watershed issue for a number of reasons. And I believe it still is. I agree. I think it's a watershed issue. If people are watching me and trying to figure out, okay, where's Barbara on this question? I think the hardest thing maybe for some people to sort out is that in addition to thinking this is an important issue that we can't compromise on, that the Southern Baptist Convention has to achieve clarity about. I'm also not someone who rubs my hands in glee over the idea of declaring churches not to be in friendly cooperation with the SBC. Much like church discipline and disfellowshipping someone out of your church, that's always a failure. Right. And and disfellowshipping a church from the SBC is always a failure. It may be a tinge with sadness. It, right. It may be a better failure than retaining a member in the church who's in wanton disagreement and disobedience to the Lord, or a better failure than the failure of retaining churches who obviously have departed from who we are and, and shouldn't be in fellowship. But that's not a success. The, the success is to persuade. <laughs> the right. success is to win your brother in church discipline. And the success is to help churches to come to the point where they conclude, you know what, you're right. And so because of that, I think we have to, to be aware of people who it feels to me sometimes the objective that they really want is not to persuade and change churches, but to kick some people out. And that's that's just not who I am. So don't be confused by the fact that I am solidly convinced that this is a make-or-break issue for Southern Baptists and that we must achieve clarity on it, but that my hope is that we achieve that clarity by persuading our churches who aren't sure and helping them achieve clarity rather than running around and saying off with their heads. Yeah, no, I understand, and I, and I hear your heart here, and it's my heart. I would say, but, throw the but in there, I think we're on the same page here. There comes a point to where if, if a church or even churches fundamentally are in a different place and going a different direction theologically, we have to say, I mean, God bless you, we love you, we're disappointed, but you're probably going to be happier 
in a different fellowship, and we are probably going to be healthier and more unified if you're not in our fellowship. Not to be cavalier about that, not to high-five one another when it happens, but just some humble, yeah. hopefully holy candor about some of these major issues. That's not only permissible and acceptable, it's sometimes necessary for the right. health and fellowship of the convention to do that. And I think this subject is one over which we may have to do that. I just hope not over many churches, because I really think that the preponderance of Southern Baptist churches, if we're all using the same dictionary, can come to agreement about what we believe. Yeah, that's good. So we just have a few more minutes here. I want to try to circle around a couple other attended aspects of this. I think we also have to say that as Southern Baptists and Baptist Faith and Message 2000 in mind here, you know, none of us are positioned, nor do I desire to get into to tinkering with or speaking into all the sub-issues that every local church has to work through in this regard. You know, does, does First Baptist Church Farmersville permit women to teach high school boys or, or whatever? You know, these kind of issues local churches are having to sort out. And so I think to, to really get into that at a convention-wide level is just a conversation that's impossible to have and, and not necessary to have. So I'm trying to keep the conversation focused on pastor, 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 elder, 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 office function, office function. And to make that as, as clarifying as possible, but but I want to come back as we do that and say, you know, when you think about why it's a watershed issue in Southern Baptist life, it's really two reasons. There's a hermeneutical reason and a historic reason. Southern Baptists understand that every denomination that has went down the road of ordaining women, it was such a massive departure of Scripture that it represented and led to greater spiritual and doctrinal unhealth and greater spiritual and doctrinal decline. That's just historical reality. Those aren't my facts. Those aren't your facts. Those are the facts. The hermeneutical gymnastics you have to do to get Paul to say, or at least not prohibit, that the office of pastor and elder is reserved to qualified men only. That's a hermeneutical approach that can take you anywhere you want to go same-sex marriage, LGBTQ issues, et cetera, et cetera. And Southern Baptists received that. And that's why the issue, when this pops up periodically, there's heightened tension, not because we're much of Neanderthals, but heightened tension because we understand the history of denominations. And heightened tension because Southern Baptists, of all things, yeah, of all things, are people of the buck. And we're often clunky. It often takes a while to work through things and, and to be where we need to be. But fundamentally, we want to be where the book is. And that's why I love Southern Baptist churches, because they're people of the book, the people of the gospel, the people of Jesus, and they're committed to those things. And so I, I think even this current conversation we're having, I, I think and I'm hopeful that as months pass, greater clarity will come. And we're going to find out this is a sliver of churches, not a growing number of churches. And hopefully we can win and persuade and seek clarity. And then the final analysis we have to, we can also be convictional and clear and confessionally faithful in this regard. I think we 100% can. I'm preaching through 1 Timothy right now. And just a few weeks ago, I was preaching through 1 Timothy 2, which speaks about the functional restrictions of what women can do in the church. As I preached that message, as I got up to the pulpit to preach, I looked and in the second row, right in the middle, straight in front of me, because we don't have a center aisle, we have a center section of seats, are two people who are brand new visitors to our church. And they're people I've known for a long time, because it's Farmersville, and I know everybody. And I thought, oh my, uh, this is the sermon to preach somebody's first week. But I preached it faithfully according to the teachings of Scripture, as best I understood it. And it was very much something that was designed around the idea that there are functional restrictions on what women can do in the church and some things that are reserved for men in terms of, of practice. And when I got finished, those two people came up 
and said, that's just the sermon we needed to hear. They were first-week visitors leaving from the United Methodist Church in town Mm. to come to a Southern Baptist church. And so that idea of this being a bellwether issue that moves through to some other issues, they hadn't left the Methodist church over that issue. They left the Methodist church because of LGBTQ kind of issues. But when they came and when they heard the proclamation of what really is the clear teaching of Scripture at our church, they recognized that as a different hermeneutical approach because really your two concerns are related. They recognized that as a different hermeneutical approach that would have prevented the historical movement of a church that they were having to leave. Very well stated. So there's one last aspect of this I want to touch on, and then I'll make a couple of final comments to pull this together. There's a logic that goes with it sometimes, and it is a a logic that at first hearing can sound a bit appealing, but if you stop and reflect upon it, it'll just drive you crazy. And the logic is something like this. When there are people on the globe who have not heard the name of Jesus, are you actually saying that you would rather a woman not be a pastor and thus share Jesus as opposed to only having biblically qualified men as pastors and thus sharing Jesus? Because don't you see, if you have more people sharing Jesus, more people come to faith in Christ. The attractiveness of the logic is we want to see people come to faith in Christ. But the ruin of the logic is with that logic, you can justify anyone being a pastor. If the final analysis is how can we speak the name of Jesus as often as possible? Do you follow? Yeah, it's terrible logic because as Baptists, we believe the whole congregation is supposed to be proclaiming the gospel and is supposed to be working evangelistically. I think there's a misunderstanding there of what it is that causes the kingdom of God to grow and the gospel to spread. It's not just the guy who gets behind the pulpit and preaches on Sunday morning. Absolutely. So I appreciate so much uh, that the many faithful ladies in my church and my minister of the years have contributed. My wife, good grief, is so gifted, so capable, so committed. I mean, you know, my mother, my grandmother's my Lois and Eunice, you know, I mean, we have those. And on this campus, there are ladies all across this campus that are faithfully studying, faithfully serving Christ, and are doing so cheerfully, happily, not wanting to pastor a church, but wanting to make the name of Christ known. And to those ladies listening, I say, God bless you. Thank you for letting us serve you and equip you. And may he use in great and mighty ways to those ends. I agree 100%. I'll just take personal privilege and say to Nancy Gilmer, who's the missions director at FBC Farmersville, it would be sinful for her to disengage from the work of missions. For Lynette James, who's the children's minister at FBC Farmersville, God has so clearly gifted and equipped her to do what she's doing that stewardship requires her to be doing what she's doing. And I'm thankful for all of those contributions not only thankful for them, dependent upon them, desperate for them. We need the faithful work of women, both on staff and off staff at our churches to help us accomplish the mission that God's given for us. But we also need to recognize that there's a biblical office of pastor, elder, overseer that's reserved for men who are qualified by scripture. Absolutely. Thank you, Bart, for joining me today on Preaching and Preachers. It's been a joy. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.